Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping, and I'll be your host for today's episode. This week, Scott Shotton is joining me once again. He's been on the show several times before, national trainer, mobile technician. Uh, Scott called me up after my previous episode, um, and I'll put a link to the show notes in that. But in the second half of last episode, I covered a case study on a 2011 GMC Sierra that was running very, very lean uh, to the point where it couldn't accelerate, it was falling on its face. And uh, I worked through that case study, uh, ultimately determining that the fuel injectors had been swapped out with the incorrect parts from a different six liter. The injectors had a different flow rate. So again, if you want to hear the details on that case study, go check out the previous episode. Link is in the show notes. If you've already listened to that, and you know the backstory. Um, Scott had called me up and he wanted to point out some things as far as the process of the diagnosis and some ways that we can really utilize fuel trims in making a determination like this and maybe saving some steps, maybe recognizing problems like this and a couple others utilizing fuel trims. It's pretty cool stuff. So, um, you know, I'm always up for pointers if people have suggestions and stuff as far as my process goes. I love to hear it. So uh, this is definitely no exception. But with that out of the way, let's jump right in. All right. Good evening, Scott. How's it going? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing good. Staying very busy. Running around all over the place, doing mobile stuff. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Yeah. How uh, how was vision for you? I know we talked a couple times while you were there. Vision was great. Did you have a good time? I did. Fantastic. I decided not to record, and I think that was uh, the right decision because I really got to just sit down and enjoy my time, spend some time hanging out with people. and Time to visit, and, time to yeah. see some classes. Yep. Nope. Yep. Nope. I agree. I agree. Yeah. And, and you were you were in one of my classes and uh, uh, I forget who said something about you. And I'm like, you realize he's sitting in the class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wasn't wasn't anything uh, too disparaging or anything. No, it wasn't so I wasn't uh, wasn't too concerned. But no, uh, Subaru class was fantastic. And I've had well, I appreciate other, it. several other people uh, say the same thing uh, since then. So that was definitely definitely a hit. My my biggest complaint about uh, that is Sherry always has me teaching a class when there is another class going on that I would like to see, <laughs> so I don't I don't get to go see it. That's I mean that's my biggest complaint. That's... You know, I only taught two I only taught two classes at Vision this year, and some of the classes I really wanted to see just so happened to be at the same time. But it is what it is. Yeah, that's the the tough part about picking classes in general for those, especially something like vision is like, I want to see, you know, three of these ones and they're all going on the same time or the same day. So it's, it's tough to pick, or I know some people kind of wander from, from class to class. uh, uh, Guilty. Guilty. (laughs) Yeah. It's, but that, you know, the way I look at it is I try to pick my classes by instructor. You know, that's some, somebody I know that does their legwork work beforehand. They put on a good presentation and I'm really disappointed um, when I go about it that way. Even if I miss out on something else, well, I'm still getting something good here. So You're, you're disappointed when you go about it, like uh, picking by instructor? No, I, I'm never disappointed. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I yeah. thought you were disappointed. No, 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 not at all. No, that's that's been pretty successful for me. Um you know, because sometimes I would try to pick the class just based on the title or the subject matter. And then, then it's just sort of, you never really know what you're going to get. You might get a fantastic class. You might get one that's not so great, but going to enough events 
and training online and things like that, you start to learn, okay, these are the guys or gals or whoever that really put on a good class. And I try to, I try to follow that. Of course, you know, there's always going to be new people up and coming, but, um, right. right. You and I are both instructors. So we may have a, a, a little bit, uh, different, uh, perspective sometimes when mm-hmm. we go to a class and we're not only paying attention to content, we're paying attention to, you know, what the, what the instructor is doing, their mannerisms, their, you know, what yeah. can I take from this as an instructor and so forth. So I completely agree with you. I pick most of my classes when I'm attending based on the instructors and accessibility to those instructors. Mm. But occasionally I will, you know, pick a new instructor. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go here and see because see they got. You, you never know. That might be the up and coming rock star, mm-hmm. you know, or it might be a, <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, need a little, what, need a little more. Practice. Know, so right. Right. But uh, yeah, you know, just good to be back in person, live training again. Oh, yeah. um, that's, uh, that's been fantastic. So, um, I think my next one I'm going to try to hit up is if they do Super Saturday. I'm going to try to go to that one because I've never been and I hear really great things about it, but it's been canceled the last two years. So, yeah, uh, I was supposed to be there, but it got canceled. So I have never been there either. Okay. I'm hoping to be there. Hopefully it runs this year. Yeah. You know, and then you've been to ASTE, right? Mm hmm. Yep. Yep, I haven't been there yet, and hopefully next year I'll be there. Uh, I'm talking to Lucas about that, so we'll see. Cool. We'll see. Did uh, I heard your podcast with the uh, the two of them about doing some in shop training? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I had to laugh. <laughs> well, yeah, David, David totally. If I go back and listen <laughs> to that podcast. David totally derailed me so so many times. I'm like, I've said the same thing over and over and over again. It's because uh, because it is ADD. And if Lucas is listening to this podcast, hey, Lucas, if he's listening to the podcast, he's going to laugh. Because if you listen to that closely, you can hear Lucas laughing in the background. when I'm. <laughs> okay, we'll leave it at that. I was going to ask though, have you uh, progressed with that or done that for any shops yet where you've gone in and done I, I've been doing a little bit here and there. Um, actually next week I'm heading to a shop in Wisconsin, which I have done two or three visits for, um, heading up there for another visit. Um, it's, it's pretty small, you know, and, and again, it's, there's a cost factor and, you know, if, if the shop isn't investing in a business coach, they're not going to invest in a a training coach. Sure. Right? Sure. You know, but I mean, I'm, it, it's available if you want it. And, uh, you know, I think the shops that are doing it keep, keep coming back and doing it, but you know, there's only a handful. You know. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Well, and again, I'm not a salesman either. So the podcast where it comes up, uh, I'm not like, Hey, call me, call me. No, <laughs> no, no. Well, I, we have to offer. If you want it, give me a call. If not, eh, whatever. I, I think there's some potential uh, to that for sure. Um, I've, I, I know I've had a, a few shops ask, you know, cause I go around do the mobile thing. Like, mm-hmm. Hey, do you do any electrical training for my guys? And I've, I've been too busy to even consider something like that, but it, you know, it, like you say for the right shop and the people that are interested in it, uh, there's, there's a market for it, but yeah, you would have to, I think you'd really have to go out and seek that and, and, you know, start, <laughs> you know, if you're talking a local shop, like mm-hmm. one of your regulars, yeah, that's a little bit different than, you know, traveling around the country and training. And I've done a couple, yeah, three or four uh, trainings here or there for some of the local shops I deal with. They're like, can you come in and tell us about this? And, and, and there's only three guys and we're sitting in their shop. I'm like, okay, well, I'm, you know what? You're 15 minutes from my house. We're just going to chill out for an afternoon, evening, and talk. All right, I'll just bill you my normal mobile rate. You know, 150 mm-hmm. bucks an hour, whatever it is. I just threw a number out, right? 150 bucks an hour, we're there for three hours. You make, you know, 450 bucks. 
and you sit there and do what you got to do with a laptop or, you know, hook up to a car or whatever the case. As soon as you start getting in bigger groups or you have to start traveling and having four-hour classes, that's when it completely changes. But for someone local, I, I do not mind, especially okay. if they're a receptive shop. I, I do yeah. not mind going, all right, cool, I'll spend a couple hours, right? Yeah. So, so, yeah, maybe this summer when I got some more time, I might uh, look into putting together something yeah. like that. And You college instructor. <laughs> Summertime's off, right? That's that's right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm at that point of the year now where we got about a month left, and I am I am ready to be done with that. It's, uh, as you know, it's a, it gets to be a long year. <laughs> yeah, I know. By the, uh, I know, but you also get spoiled. Because I was there. You also get spoiled. Hey, summer's off. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not summer's off if you do what we do. Right. 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 <laughs> I, I've managed to get two full-time jobs for myself pretty much. So not yep. not really a summer off, just a, a shift in priorities and responsibilities yep. and workload. So, yep. yeah. The hardest, part, the hardest part is when you're a full-time college instructor during the two semesters of the year is turning shops down yep. during those two semesters. That's the, my experience was that was the hardest part. Oh, yeah, I can't be there today. Mm-hmm. I can be there two days from now. Yeah. And that was the hardest. That was the hardest part. Yep. Well, because, yeah, I could take two, maybe three jobs on in an afternoon after class. And that's yeah. three's pushing it because if one goes wrong, then the, the afternoon's ruined, which easily can happen. And so then that fills up pretty quickly, at least for me now, I'll get two days filled up. So then they call me. I'm like, yeah, you know, two, three days from now in the afternoon. So I won't be there until Thursday at yeah. two o'clock. And they're like, what? So that, oh, that hey, been... the time. what time are you going to be here? Uh, sometime in the afternoon, uh-huh. yeah, you know, sometime mid morning. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you yeah. know, what are you going to do? <laughs> yep. <laughs> But I, I did find the shops that, you know, put up a, have a fit about it and whatever. There's, they're probably not the ones that I really want to be working with anyways, um, that need it like right now. It's got to be done right now. I, I, I don't really prefer those. I like the ones that they get the car and just say, okay, well, when you get here, you get here. We'll, we'll deal with it then. You know what? Some of those don't understand is the customer wants it done right now, right now, but it's been at their shop for a week mm. or two and yeah. now that you're on the phone they're passing the buck and going i want it mm-hmm. now I'm like yep. wait this has been at your shop for two weeks <laughs> <laughs> so yeah you can wait a day uh, exactly <laughs> right? we gotta fix it we'll fix it but you gotta wait a day uh-huh so, i'm sorry we we kind of went on a completely different rant but that's okay yeah that's uh that tends to happen i have i have no problems with that Um, but yeah, so the reason, uh, I've got you on this evening is you gave me a jingle after I put out the last episode talking about a GMC Sierra with some, uh, fuel injector problems. Yeah. And you had some suggestions and some ideas about it. So I am, I am all ears because I always want to know what I'm doing, can it be more efficient, more accurate? Um, I, I do, it's weird because I do have pride in what I do. I think you have to, but I'm always looking for outside input to like, okay, well, how could I be better at what I'm doing? So I love hearing it from people if they've got suggestions and, uh, I'm definitely excited to hear yours. Well, first of all, you knocked it out of the park. You got the car done, right? You figured it, was it fixed. out. Yes. Perfect. Second of all, kudos to your student who you didn't name, but but had mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, hey, should we see if anything else was done to this vehicle? Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. And you said that in the podcast. Kudos to that student. I hope that student's doing well. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him. Uh, him. I believe it's a him in, yes. in, in the industry, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. I would have said her, but I believe in your podcast, you said he. So yeah, I, I, I do have a female student this year who's doing very well, but uh, the student that was with me, his name's Mike and he is, uh, 
he's going to do very well in this field. For sure. Hey, Mike, keep with it. Mm-hmm. Right. Hopefully he listens to this. If oh, not, I'll, you need to make him listen to it. Hold yeah, on. I'll, I'll send him a link for sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, you did everything exactly the way I would have. And I'm a very process-oriented person. And I don't want this to be like a a, a, a mini class. But you, know, you you went into that vehicle and discovered the O2s had an issue, correct? Yes, that was right. the first trip there. Right. And, and anyone listening, go back to the previous episode to listen to see what we're talking about. Right. OK, so you, you got to get the O2s fixed before you use fuel drums. Yep. Agreed, because fuel drums are based on O2 sensors. So we'll leave that whole first half of the story for someone that wants to listen to the previous episode. You got the O2s fixed. Now we can trust fuel trims. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Um, it, before we, before we jump onto that and maybe this will derail us. So you can call me, David, <laughs> yeah, well. but I, I was thinking about this because I always think about it, you know, after I, I put out the episode and I'm thinking about the car. So those, those front O twos were worthless. They didn't work, but the rears did seem to be working. They mm-hmm. didn't seem to be responding correctly. Do you think, and you could just leave it with a yes or no. I don't think this would have worked. We don't have to go into it too deeply. But do you think, had I jumped the signal wire for the rears into the fronts, just unplug the front O2s and jump the signal wire from the rears into the fronts, I might have been able to utilize some fuel trims to get an idea where I was headed? Okay. <laughs> That's an interesting thought. Now, I was just, I, I, I've never tried it, so I don't know. realizing right now. If I'm not mistaken, this vehicle had no cats in it. They had just been replaced. Oh, so they did put cats in it. Yeah, the cats got cut out, which is why they put on a a Y-pipe and the new O2s. See, if if the cats were cut out and someone put in straight pipes, I think you'd be perfectly fine using the downstreams. But with the cats there. But with the cats there, especially new cats. Yeah. That's a judgment call. That's something we would have to... Damn it, Sean! You're giving me more homework to do. <laughs> I like I like to do this. No. <laughs> I do I do this to fans all the time. <laughs> I know, and you know what? If if you know what, I'm I'm going to sit down and eat something and go to sleep, and then think about this. Fanzel would be up till like two o'clock in the morning researching. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, I, I lost where we're at. We're. <laughs> Okay, so we just de- yeah we determined that the front O2s were uh, non-functional. Okay, and all right. Those need to be replaced before we can proceed. Cool. So we got the O2s in. Okay, and then and then you did the exact same thing I would do. Again, I'm going through my procedure. I do it the same every time. If we got lean coats, rich coats, low power things, drivability issues, right? You're you're most likely plugging a scan tool in first, mm-hmm. um, pulling codes. And then going for a test drive and looking at fuel trims, provided we know the O2s are working, right? Yep. Okay. And and you know that um, – and, and for the sake of your listeners, okay, if we have a vacuum leak, mm-hmm. okay, at idle on a mass airflow sensor vehicle, on an I, at idle with the throttle plate closed, our fuel trims are going to be what? Negative or positive? Positive. Positive, right? Because we got some unmetered air coming in. We're under-injecting fuel, however you want to look at it, right? But then once you start to open the throttle, now the percentage of air that's sneaking in, if anything, through that vacuum leak is insignificant, so our fuel trims get better, correct? Yep. Right? So, I mean, I'm one of those guys that I look at scan data and sitting in in the bay, Going, all right, I got positive fuel trims at idle. Let's bring the RPMs up and see if the fuel trims get better. And if they do, I'm leaning towards a, a vacuum leak, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If if I've got a low power complaint and, and the fuel trims are ah, okay or maybe a little bit positive at idle, but I bring RPM up or I brake torque it and the fuel trims get worse, now mm-hmm. we're looking at maybe a fuel uh, a fuel delivery issue, okay, mm-hmm. or maybe a mass airflow issue, or air metering issue, but be the best way to say it, mm-hmm. right? But that's where the VE test drive comes in. 
So you go do the VE test drive, which you 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 definitely covered um, in your last podcast, right? Mm-hmm. So looking at that vehicle, I mean, we're ju- we're just looking at pieces of data, looking at the vehicle that you had, okay, that GM truck with the six liter. Yep. VE was good, means the engine can breathe. O2s went lean, fuel trim was positive after after we fixed the O2s. Correct. Yeah. Correct? Okay, so that automatically to me means a fuel delivery issue, right? Next thing is how's the fuel pump? But you covered that, mm-hmm. right? You said you had a fuel pressure gauge, and I rarely connect a fuel pressure gauge anymore, but connected the fuel pressure gauge, and we had mm-hmm. good pressure. We also talked about, or you talked about fuel volume, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure you've done it, and I've done it too. Take that fuel pressure gauge and tape it to the windshield and go hammer on it driving down the road. Exactly. Right? And if you have, I think you said 60 or 65 PSI in the podcast. Yeah. If you to have that there. under load, you have volume because yep. volume maintains pressure. So you're good. N- nothing against a fuel volume test, but I'm not going to do the test if I don't have to. Right. Right. So we're looking at um, uh, a lean condition. With good volumetric efficiency, meaning the engine can breathe, but we do have a fuel issue. That's where you were at, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, what made me think about calling you was how can you see those fuel injectors in fuel trim? That's a good question. Okay. Uh, oh, think about it this way. Those fuel, I don't have the numbers written down, but they had a different flow rate, correct? Yep. It was uh, 30 pounds and 44 pounds per hour. Okay. So so at idle, they will flow a specific percentage less, correct? Mm-hmm. At 2,000 RPMs, they're going to flow the same percentage less, correct? Mm. Sure. At sure. 4,000 RPMs. At under load, because their flow rate is different, they're going to flow the same percentage less. So one of the things I look for, and we're going to expand on this in a minute, because it's not just fuel injectors that can do this. But if you and I, and hopefully your listeners are comfortable with a plus or minus 5%, maybe 10% fuel trim number, right? Pretty normal. Okay. Short term plus long term total trim. It fits in that plus or minus five window, which is a 10% window. Okay. If we have uh, fuel injectors that don't flow the right amount, let's say they flow less, mm-hmm. which is what you have had happen, right? If you were to look at those fuel trim numbers, and I'm doing this, the, uh, the audience can't see it because I'm doing it visually, but you can, right? Skew that whole thing high. Mm-hmm. Right. So if we have, you know, plus 25, plus 27, plus 29, plus 27, plus to, uh, under all different driving conditions in closed loop, they're all still in that. They're all still positive, but uh-huh. they're all still in that 10% window. Right. So everything's working fine. Uh-huh. Except that the injectors, it could be the injectors, but in this case, it's the injectors. Right, mm-hmm. it could go the other way around too. So if you had, if you had injectors with a higher flow rate installed, mm-hmm. then it would be the opposite. It would be negative. Negative. But, those, okay. but it's provided everything else is working correctly on the car, you know, it's not like the vacuum leak that I brought up. Okay? Yeah, we got we got high positive trims at idle because we have bad we have the wrong fuel injectors. When I bring it up on the higher RPMs, it's not going to get better. It's a vacuum leak, it will, right. but if it's the injectors, it's not. So Does that make sense? it's math is really what it is. Yeah. So let me make sure that I understand this correctly. So what you're saying is the percentage of correction will remain the same throughout different load ranges if the issue is a injector that's not moving enough fuel or too much fuel. Uh, if, if all the injectors are wrong. All, all the, yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> See, right. we got to be careful there. If someone yes. put one wrong injector in, then we're probably chasing a misfire or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But in your case, they put a set of injectors in. Yep. All eight. So. Right. Okay. And, and, and you know what? This is a man-made issue. 
Agreed oh, for sure. Yeah. And, yeah, and the re- the reason I know this is because I've seen it multiple times and it's always a man-made issue. It's, it's a, um, a Ford Taurus that had a, a one model year newer junkyard engine installed and they left the original ejectors in it, but it had a different fuel system in it and the flow rate was slightly different. Um, I had a Mazda 2005 Mazda three with a two liter that had 28%. I wrote it down before our phone call, 28% uh, positive trims. And uh, it had an engine that uh, grenaded and a shot put one junkyard engine in it. And uh, it was locked up. Don't ask me why they didn't try and spin the engine over by hand first. (laughs) So they put a second engine in it. And now it starts and runs, and it's it's setting uh, uh, lean codes, okay? And I think it was lean. Yeah, it was lean codes. And uh, um, I'm in Chicago, and when I went out to look at this vehicle, well, first of all, I called, I, I talked to the shop. It was a, a good customer of mine, and I said, check it for ethanol. There's something going on with ethanol because of what I just told you. The fuel trims were positive under all conditions, uh-huh. right, at idle, driving down the road. Under load, you know, as long as in a closed loop, they were all, I'm like, check it for ethanol. So they did an ethanol test and <clears throat> it passed for ethanol. I'm like, okay, I'll come out and take a look. So I went out and took a look. And uh, when I plugged it in the IDS, uh, the Mazda, uh, it pulled up as a California emissions vehicle. Mm. And I luckily caught that. I'm in Chicago. What's the chance of getting a California emissions engine from a junkyard in Chicago? Right. So we did a little research, and I have the numbers written down for you. The the California injectors are 260 to 320 milliliters per minute. The federal are 195 to 245 milliliters per minute. And if you do the math, that's roughly 75% of the fuel flow. And our trims were 28%. So 75 and 28, that's pretty damn close to 100. Okay. okay. Right? So, I mean, it was, it was a fuel. It was it was the inject same issue you ran into. Same sure. exact thing. Okay. Right? But the point is, the the what I really wanted to point out was it, you're used to looking at trims under different conditions. If they mm-hmm. are the same positive or the same negative under all conditions – Injectors could be one. I was going to ask what else could cause that same. (laughs) See, that's where we're going. Okay. Now, this is something that some people don't like to talk about. Um, And I'll ask it in class. Like, do you guys have E85 in your area? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you do. Okay. There's people that will say, nope, nope, don't have it. Don't have to worry about it. Let me ask you this question. Do you have to worry about it? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, I mean I mean think about it the highways. Even if you're even if you're in a a town um that doesn't have 85 at the pumps, mm-hmm. right? And and your your regular customer uh that lives out in the sticks with you goes out on a trip and they happen to to accidentally fill a tank with E85. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they get back home and their car's not running right. Or you live close to the highway where they have E85 pumps. Yep. It right? doesn't mean you have to have them in your town. But there is, you have to understand, there is a possibility that you're going to have E85 yeah. in a tank. Uh, and this might not be the direction we're going to go with this, but I have found it so important to get a fuel sample no matter what. If you're going down this path with, uh, you know whether it be fuel trim issues or even starting issues and just take a sample of that fuel. It's so easy to do and it's so overlooked by a lot of technicians and shops. Nope. It's just I, to put it, put it, use a plastic water bottle and just take a look at it and you can do the water mix thing. And I, you might talk about that, but um, it just to, just to get a visual of the gas has solved a lot, a lot of vehicles for me. Yeah, I mean, you, you are right, and that that is the point. And and when 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 a, a technician first runs into this and it bites them in the ass, they're mm-hmm. going to realize how simple it is. But ethanol 
does the same exact thing as injectors with the wrong uh, flow rate. Okay. And the reason is the air-fuel ratio is different. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if we took a, I don't know, 1998 uh, 4.3 liter uh, uh, Chevy T10 Blazer. Sure. Right? Very and popular we put, back in the day. We, we put ethanol back in the tank, right? E85, whatever the case. It'll still run. Some cars won't run. Corollas, by the way, won't run with too much ethanol, but <laughs> I know that well, from experience too. But <clears throat> but but the point <laughs> is that that uh, you know the air fuel ratio is different. So you're gonna set lean coats, uh-huh. PO171, PO174, right? You might have low power complaints depending on how much ethanol is in the tank on uh-huh. hard acceleration. Uh, but if it goes into closed loop and you're not hard accelerating, it's going to compensate. So you're going to see positive fuel trim numbers, but your fuel trim numbers are going to be the same or close to the same across the board. At idle, they're going to be plus 27. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just picking numbers. It depends yep. on how much ethanol is in there. Let's be right. plus 27. When you're cruising down the road under light load at, you know, 2,500 RPMs, it might be plus 26, might be plus 25, but it's still across the operating range it's all still in that plus or minus five window 10 percent window you know it's just skewed sure. high right yeah so that, that is that is the the giveaway ve is going to be good because the engine can still breathe we're probably going to have lean codes we might have low power complaints o2s work we confirm that and then our trims are skewed this direction skewed high total good indicator let me ask you this and actually first i'm going to say that blazer that has e85 is also going to need a pulsator in the fuel tank and a regulator (laughs) (laughs) yeah very possibly but um i I did a lot a lot of gm fuel pumps for the the ethanol content back in the day but um so let's say a mass airflow sensor was skewed um in in the lean direction, right? It's, it's dirty or it's just skewed and it's adding trim. Would that give us the same effect with the fuel trims being off the same amount across the board? From my experience? No. What it does is it's, it could be near normal at Mm -hmm. idle, maybe, but the higher the RPM or the higher the engine load, the worse it gets. Okay. And if you do the VE (laughs) test drive, which you did on yours, which is part of my diagnostics too. You know, I'm already driving it around to see what the fuel trims are under all different conditions. One piece of that test drive is flooring it and doing the VE test drive. And that, that mass airflow sensor is going to make that VE number horrible. Yeah. So we have lean, lean O2s, poor VE, um, automatically going towards air metering. I don't want to say mass airflow. It could be a cut in the tube or something, but whatever the case, right? But but ethanol or wrong fuel injectors, we're gonna have good VE and and yeah. or potentially rich if they, if if you had you had injectors with a less a a, a smaller flow rate. Mm-hmm. If they were the other way around, it would have been rich. But the fuel trim numbers would have done the same thing. It would have been negative numbers, but equal across the board. But our VE numbers would have been good. Yeah, right? we we can rule out the mass airflow sensor. Just go punch it and do a VE calculation. If our VE is good, you don't have a mass airflow sensor issue. Um, yeah, I don't recall the exact class I was in where that was explained to me that the VE test, because I had heard of it before and I thought it was just for engine breathing. And I, I didn't I didn't use it that much. You know, I'd run into a restricted cat here and there and I could usually pick that out pretty easily. But then somebody explained, well, you can use this to assess the mass airflow sensors accuracy. And then it's, it's very simple because it's using that as part of the calculation. If that's off, the calculation's off. And then I, I did a few of them. I had a mass airflow on a Hyundai that was running very rich and I went out and did the VE test. And this is like a 2003 Santa Fe that's got 200,000 miles on it. And it comes back at like 115% <laughs> efficiency in the V. I'm like, okay, all right. That's I, I know where my problem is now. This mass right. airflow sensor is over-reporting quite a bit, but uh, that was uh, that was definitely eye-opening when I 
was explained. And that's an odd one. Use that. Yeah, that's an odd one. They they don't usually over-report. No, usually. I don't. I don't see that too often. It's usually the opposite direction. Right. But you know, and and you said you know um, the VE test is only a measure of engine breathing. Well, it is a measure of engine breathing with the addition of we can cross-check the mass airflow sensor. Mm-hmm. Right, that's where I use it most. Right, but it also lets us uh, rule different things rule different things out. It's I treat it almost as a di- another data pit. Right? Okay, my V is good. Okay, I don't have a breathing problem. Oh, you know what? There's even another one. Fords, um, what altitude? You're probably at a similar altitude to me. Yeah. Uh, uh, about, I'm about 640 feet above sea level. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty close to that. I know the Barrow is 14.3 here. Okay. I know, so, I know the Ford is uh, 150. Yeah, so 152 hertz is pretty close to normal for me. Okay, so you, that's a little bit. I'm, I'm more like 156 hertz. Okay. And that, that's what I was going to bring up is when whenever, because of how Ford does it, they they uh, they calculate barometric pressure based on the mass airflow sensor input. So if we have a air restriction, an exhaust restriction, or a bad mass airflow sensor, Anything that measure that that messes with engine breathing, mm-hmm. you're going to have a bad barrel reading. Yep. You're going to. So when I when I, I wish every manufacturer did it that way because as soon as I plug into a Ford, I pull up barrel in my PID list and, yeah. and you know so like what do you need to do barrel for or whatever? I'm like because if this barrel says 132 hertz, mm-hmm. I know damn well if I do a VE test drive, we're going to have a bad number. Yep. Right. That's all. I, that's all I know. I don't know if it's a bad mass airflow. I don't know if it's a plug cat. I don't know if it's a plastic bag got sucked into the air filter. Doesn't matter. All I know is there is an either an engine breathing or an engine breathing calculation problem. Either way, it's a quick way to to check. It's just a yeah. data pit to look at. I uh, was trying to explain to my students how Ford does their barrel calculation. It, it, with using the mass airflow sensor and they do it at a, at a wide open, uh, scenario. And the, the students were looking at me like I was speaking a different language. They're like, well, why don't they just use a pressure sensor? I'm like, I, I don't know. That's the way that they, <laughs> they chose to go. It does seem complex, but that's, that's their method. But we, if you understand it, you can use it. Um, the, uh, what was the other, I was just, I had another line of thought there and I think I just lost it, but <laughs> <laughs> All right. I was going to pause for a minute and let you think. I see I see the wheels turning. Yeah, the wheels are turning. Oh, um for because you mentioned that you use it as a data pad, uh, right, the VE. Are there any data pads on vehicles that you'll substitute in for a VE test? Cuz there's okay. some options out there. No, there's there's different load pads. Okay, there's calculated load, there's absolute load, and and there's another one, and it's a required PID uh, by SAE standards since 1996. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's accurate, sometimes it's not. If you don't understand it, and I, I still do this to this day, I will look at the load PID on the scan tool, but I will still do the VE calculation. Okay. and. Once I do the VE calculation and I and I, then I compare it to the load pids, all right, okay, cool. Um, absolute load and calculated load. Okay, calculated load is exactly what I came up with the VE calculator, and absolute load is, you know, it, it's a turbocharged car or something. That even adds extra things into the mix. I always do the VE calculation the first time around and then compare it to the data. If the load pit that I'm looking at matches my VE number really close, and then I fix the car and I go do the repair verification test drive, I mm-hmm. may or may not do the uh, VE calculation afterwards because now I trust the load pit because I I know what it's doing. Think about it. You talked about it in in your last podcast. It's the displacement of the engine, the RPM it's spinning at, mm-hmm. how much air should it flow compared to how much air it's flowing. I mean, there's there's no, there's very little variables there. Right. Either right or it's not. But a load PID, who knows what's programmed inside that PCM, that ECM, that DME, you know, right. 
you know, how are they calculating it? I, I don't know. So I always, I always tend to do the VE calculation uh, first and then look at my data pits and then decide what to do. You know, and anyway. All right. Um, on the, on the ethanol thing, um, mm-hmm. I'm sure I've explained it on the podcast before, but it, it's a very simple check that a lot of people have done to put some water into some sort of container. And there's videos out there you can do with a graduated cylinder and really dial it in and do 10, you know, 10 millimeter or 10 milliliters of water. And then what's the number of, of gas that you put in there? I do it. I, I do it a little bit different. I did it really simple. Yeah. hundred milliliter graduated cylinder. Okay. okay hundred milliliters. Nice, yeah. simple math. 50 milliliters of fuel sample, 50 milliliters of water. Half, and, do half. half and half. Okay. Yep. Okay. Shake it up. And then for every milliliter that dividing line rises, you're about 2% ethanol. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, if it goes up 10 milliliters, you're 20% ethanol. And, I, um, and, and, and no, Grant, it's not like super scientific grade, whatever, but does it really matter? If you're looking for E85, then no. <laughs> okay. So let's let's go to the next vehicle. Okay. The next okay. the next case. We already did your your vehicle with the wrong fuel injectors. Yep. And I brought up the Mazda, which I've also seen on Fords. And you obviously saw on GMs. So again, mad made issue, wrong injectors. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then we talked about ethanol being in the fuel tank of a non-flex fuel car, where our fuel trims uh, go positive, but they're the same positive across the board. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Okay. Now, <laughs> okay, uh, a vehicle presents itself. Uh, let's say a, a later model 5 liter F-150 has a PO-172, PO-175 Rich codes. Mm-hmm. So if you have ethanol in the tank, um, you'd be running lean, right? Correct. But this vehicle is a flex fuel vehicle. So whenever I get a vehicle nowadays that has rich codes, the first thing I do is I go and, and pull up the scan data and find out, is it flex fuel and what is the ethanol percentage? Because many of these vehicles nowadays learn there it's inferred there's not an ethanol sensor like the old four cylinder s10 pickups in the early 90s or mid 90s right? right um they're they're inferred right and i've seen many of them learn the wrong ethanol content so if they learn uh 76% seems to be a really common number i don't know why but 76% ethanol it thinks there's ethanol, so it's injecting more fuel based on its programming. The O2C, it's running rich. It cuts back. We set our rich codes, mm-hmm. but it's going to be the same thing fuel trim-wise. It's going to be the same at idle. It's going to be the same at you know mid-throttle. It's going to be the same driving around the road. So we're going to still have that whole plus or minus 10% window, but in this case, it's going to be shifted negative because we're taking fuel away, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and sometimes... It's just a matter of going in and take a fuel sample if you want to and test it. But how many people are putting the 85 in their cars? They have flex fuel cars. They're just putting gas in it. Right. For the most part, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have an F-150 or I've seen it on GM trucks, right? They're, they're setting rich codes. They have learned an ethanol value that's incorrect. You clear the ethanol value. Fuel trims are perfect. Take a sample if you want and make sure. Now, Ford's not so easy. Ford doesn't have a scan tool button that lets you clear the code. Or, I'm sorry, clear the ethanol content mm. like like GM does. But Yeah, I've done the GMs. I can't think of a Ford that I've reset. Is that just like a – do you do reset the cam? Will that do it in nope. the PCM? No? Nope. Okay. Huh. Nope. I try, you can try and, and uh, uh, do a – Capacitive discharge, if you want to call it that, yeah. uh, you can do all that stuff. Doesn't work. Do, doesn't do it. So really? basically, uh, the last one I did, I kind of want to mess with the people I was dealing with. So I said, <laughs> "Here's what you got to do: you got to drain the fuel out of the tank, turn the key on, start the car, shut it back off, 
fill the tank back up so it sees a six gallon increase, fill the tank back up and then start it and then it will relearn and drive it around. And they did that. Now we're mobile guys. How are you going to get around that? Or do some circuit modification to the fuel <laughs> yep, sensor, yep. yeah. Yeah, a resistor, right? You're going to do a key cycle mm-hmm. because what it, what it wants to see is it wants to see you shut the car off with two gallons in the tank, mm-hmm. and the next time you start it, it's got 20 gallons in the tank. Then it knows you added fuel. Then it goes into its learn procedure, right? So yeah. if you lie to it instead of you know draining the fuel tank out. Could we eh, pull the connector, put in the right resistor that says, ah, it's a quarter tank of gas, turn the key on, turn the key off, plug it back in. It says three quarters of a tank, start it, drive it, relearn. Yeah. Okay. You won't find that service information. I was just going to ask that. Is the the method of learning in service information for Fords? I believe it tells you uh, the, the criteria. Okay. Right? Okay. It, it 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 might say something along the lines of you know it needs to see a a key off cycle a six gallon fuel increase at the next key on cycle at which point it will you know do the relearn I'm I'm assuming that means that you know the O2s and stuff were working fine before you shut the key off you know because that's it's basically on fuel trips is really what it's doing sure. Yeah, I'd, I'd read that in uh, GM vehicles, the description operation on how it's how it's even coming to that conclusion. And I know on some of the older, oh, I think it was like Impalas and things like that in the earlier 2000s, there was even a reflash for it. They updated the PCM software because they were they were going out of whack so often and they'd be it'd be skewed. Um, but you could go in, you could look at that percentage, test the fuel question the customer it was pretty easy to come to a conclusion there um i had a i had a string of vehicles with e85 in the tank um at a at a few different places some different car lots that i do work for and they were all getting the cars from the same auction place and for whatever reason however it happened they were putting e85 in all of the vehicles that well, got work. sold at the auction it's cheaper it'll work exactly and so I, I it was about a month and i was just one after another after another and so i just got to the point where i just was checking the fuel sample immediately and had my answer but uh yeah it's uh it well and okay let me ask you this um just recently i think it was yesterday or day before the government announced that they're going to be um not banning e20 during the summertime that would normally happen june through september i think it was that uh they're gonna allow the sale of e20 have you seen anything with like an e15 and e20 cause any issues in cars i don't think so i mean e i mean i mean half the cars that are on the road now are capable of dealing with that Right, right. right. Everything mean, here in Minnesota is E10 at the minimum. So yeah, and even well, have you ever tested the from the fuel pump? Have you ever have you ever done that? I've done that too because I'm a nerd like that to to actually see what the fuel samples is. and done ethanol tests. Yeah, we do them in class at school. Yeah, and so it says up to uh, in in Illinois it says like up to ten percent, unless the pump says E15 or something mm-hmm. like that. But the other ones say up to 10% ethanol. But every sample we took was 3 4 5%. It, it was never 10%. Yeah. It definitely depends on the time of year, the the gas station, all of that stuff. Um, the There's non-oxygenated gas here too. I don't know if that's sold in every state or not. So you can get some that has no ethanol and people like that for their boats and lawnmowers and cars. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've seen that, like uh, that. Not where I'm at, but I've seen that, especially near like lakes and things where people do boats yes. and fishing. And there's a few of those all around over here. that. But yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. But you know what? I, I mean, you asked the question about in, in modern vehicles. I mean, I drive a 14, so it's not new. A 14 Mm -hmm. Silverado, but it's flex fuel. Mm -hmm. And I never put E85 in it. But if I got E15 or E20, I probably wouldn't even notice. 
Right. It would probably compensate. You know, mm-hmm. I kind of want to intentionally put some ethanol in it and plug a scan tool and do some recordings to see what happens. But I kind of need my truck to work. So <laughs> I don't want to screw yeah. it up, right? Right, right. Well, and it, uh, it drops your mileage just a little bit. So, yeah, I, I know there's I, debate you know on the. There, there was a time when uh, this was a handful of years ago. I was teaching for the Illinois EPA, and uh, 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 the two guys that work for the EPA came and picked me up. Uh, here, I'm in Northern Illinois, and and we drove down together in a, a GM sedan, a, a Malibu, something of that nature. Okay, uh, we drove from here to East St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And uh, because it was a flex fuel vehicle, the state required that they put E85 in it. So we found a gas station close to us, and we got E85, and we did the math while we were driving and figuring it out. And we we compared the mileage, fuel mileage, to the dollar mileage. Mm. E85 was cheaper, and it worked out to be about the same. About right. uh, At that time, anyway, it was almost exactly the same. So we drove, you know, five hours or four hours to St. Louis and four hours back, and everything worked out. You know, if we were, if you were counting your wallet mileage, it mm-hmm. was it was exactly the same. You know, cheaper just, cheaper to fill up. You just have to stop more often. Yeah, stop more often. That's the thing. And then uh, all the race guys love to use that E eighty five because you can bump up that ignition timing too. Yeah, yeah. There's some chemistry things going on there too. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, yeah. I've had a number of students that want to do the E85 conversion to their BMW or whatever they're messing around with uh, so they, <laughs> they can change the, change the timing uh, to crazy yeah, you know levels. what You know what? There, there's, there's one way I, I took out of that, especially when I was a college instructor and I had the, the younger – it was usually guys. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to say guys in general, right? The, the younger guys, they're like, oh, I want to do this. I'm like – um. Learn how it works first before you try and modify it. So right. you got a question about how it works factory-wise, call me all day long. You're going to bolt a turbocharger onto that? and Or, nope, nope, I don't want anything to do with it. Can you find me a factory wiring diagram for that remote start? Nope. Okay, then I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. I got, I got one more thing here, and I think we talked about this beforehand because we were talking about fuel trims being skewed. One way or the other. Yep. In, in, incorrect injector flow rate, incorrect ethanol content. Okay. Uh, non flex fuel vehicle with ethanol in the tank, uh, positive fuel trim numbers. Mm-hmm. Flex fuel vehicle, incorrectly learned positive uh, uh, ethanol content, negative fuel trim numbers. This is one, and again, I told you on the phone. Uh, or, or on this call before we started recording, I've run into this twice the past month. This is a GM. I'm going to read this TSB, or I'm going to summarize this TSB. It's a 2010 Malibu with a 2.4. Okay, and and apparently um, around this time frame, there were two RPO codes, so an LE5 and an LE9. Okay, twice mm-hmm. I have been called on these vehicles for setting PO 172 uh, rich code, uh, which would lead me to look at ethanol content. But the vehicle is, quote, unquote, not a flex fuel vehicle. So if you go in with a scan tool, you don't get an ethanol PID. You don't get an option to reset ethanol or whatever the case. Okay. Well, apparently, these vehicles... Uh, Malibu and Pontiac G6. Um, they have ethanol software in the in the module, and mm-hmm. uh, you can't see it in the scan tool. So let me read this real quick because a TSB solved this issue for me. Actually, the fuel trims led me to this has the wrong ethanol content, but it's not okay. a flex fuel vehicle. Does that okay. make sense? Yep. Yep. Right, so the fuel the fuel trims took me this way. I'm like, no, dude, you did everything. This shop did everything they needed to do. I looked at the trim numbers. They're they're you know the same across the board. They're just skewed. I'm like, this is freaking ethanol, but it's rich, not lean. So this is a non flex fuel vehicle that has learned ethanol. I'm like, what the hell? So again, don't don't hesitate to look at TSBs. 
basically what it says, just for your listening audience, right, for their pleasure, mm-hmm. okay, build the vehicle with an LE9 engine, even if it has an LE5 engine, because they are both 2.4, uh, 2.4, 2.4 yeah. liters. They're yeah. both 2.4 liters. One is a VIN B and one is a VIN 0, okay? If you build it, and I know because I've done this twice, if you build it as an LE9, it will give you the option to view the ethanol content, and it will be wrong, and it will give you the option to clear it and and solve the issue. But again, okay. fuel, trim, fuel trims led me to, there's not, it's not software programming, it's just you gotta lie, lie to the car. The the scan tool lie won't to show you what's actually there, right? Because it thinks it's a non flex fuel vehicle, and technically, it's not sold as an as as a flex fuel vehicle. But apparently, it incorrectly can learn the ethanol content. And yeah, that's that's interesting. I I know across the years, I've solved various issues or completed certain tasks by changing that year or engine or something in the scan tool or even in service information, just let's go up one year or down one year and try this. And then it magically works. And it's, it's always just, you wasted so much time. You're like, really? That's that's all I had to do is change that one. It's always a gamble. It's always a gamble because, you know, especially if you're lying to a scan tool, Uh right? You may get the right data. You might not. Right. And, And, but you have to accept the fact that I lied to the scan tool Okay, mm-hmm. if it's not right, good. Okay, as far as service information, sometimes I do agree with that totally. Like mm-hmm. wire colors don't match. Oh, yeah. You go one year newer or one year older, and yeah. okay, now the wire colors match. All right, cool. We're we're in the right place. Mm-hmm. You know, mid production year stuff and. <sighs> yep. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we do that. We do a lot of that work with the students. Is. Uh, your ability to search service information is going to be one of your most important skills. You know, obviously you want to be able to fix the car, figure out the car, but your ability to find the information within whatever system you're using, that should not be overlooked. And you should practice that as a skill because <laughs> it's tough. Sometimes you got to know those little tricks. You got to do you guys have some obstacles. Uh, do you guys have all data and pro demand? We have those two and Identifix. So we're lucky to give them access and ability for, for all three because we want them to be able to use whatever they have going out into a shop. Okay. And, and, and shortly before I left the college, I, I, I got tasked with uh, putting together a, like an introductory class. And we spent a bunch of time talking about service information, interviewing process, certifications, you know, all, all the basic stuff to get you going. And and uh, one of the things we talked about was service information. And I don't know if you know it or not, but it's something you could use with your students is all data has a test. Mm. Have you done that? I, I haven't, no. Okay. It's, it's like a certification test. It's nothing crazy. But basically, it forces them to go through and look up stuff and answer questions. Now, if I wrote a test that said, hey, what's the firing order of a small block Chevy or, oh, I'm sorry, a, a 1998 5.7 liter, you know, yeah, right? Sure. You know what they're going to do? They're going to Google it. Yep. They're yep. not going to look at the service information. But, but the all data test forces them to use all data to answer the questions. Gotcha. Pro Demand also has one, and and I believe you might have to email them uh, to to get your students access to that. You already guys already have an account, so get access yeah. to that. And basically, then they get two little mini certifications. So it's a little pat on the back, something for their resume. But it also makes them, it forces them to look up the information in all data or Pro Demand or whatever the case. So so I mean, I for, I made them do the tests. Yeah, uh, we we do so much stuff with them where it's forcing them to find a piece of information. And I do it a lot where I'll just be, we'll be talking about something. Um, we're doing airbags right now. And so I'll say, okay, you know, we're going on break, but hit up the computer lab, use your vehicle you drove here and find where this component's located or find this reset procedure and take a picture, print it off, whatever, and we'll talk about it when we get back. And just simple stuff like that. I just want them to get into the flow of being able to navigate the 
the systems to know where to find this stuff. Cause you know, as well as I do, sometimes the search bar on top doesn't get you what you need. It's very helpful in a lot of cases, but the, the ability to actually know where things are, you know, in the organization, the service info is, is huge. Absolutely huge. Right. Um, right. And that's why I made the students do both all data and pro demand, because who knows which one they're going to have when they get hired at a shop. Exactly. Because most yeah. shops don't have both. Well, hopefully they have at least one, right? Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> right. No. But yeah. Oh, speaking of airbags. Yes. <laughs> uh, do you blow them up in class? Yeah, that's uh, Tuesday. Uh, next Tuesday, actually, we're going to be setting off one of those in a pretensioner. So. All right. I think I remember one of your previous podcasts, and and uh, there may actually be a YouTube video of me setting off some airbags, but. We'll leave that off to the side. What, uh, uh, what, uh, you know, you're not supposed to measure the resistance of an airbag, right? Yeah, they say don't do it with an ohmmeter. We try yeah. every year, though. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, we would, we would pull out every ohmmeter we could find, right? Every single one, even the old needle style snap on or whatever, and we would take another voltmeter and we would measure the voltage of what every every meter put out, and then we would lay um, it on order. And we put the, the lowest voltage first to the highest voltage. And uh-huh. then we would take a seatbelt pretensioner and, and stretch the seatbelt out. We'd cut it so there was no buckle. And 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 some student that had enough nuts would, would wear a, a welding glove. <laughs> I wouldn't let them wrap it around their hand. I sure. said, you've got to hold on to the strap, right? And uh-huh. stand back, you know, so they're 15 feet away. And that, that would be in a vice. And we'd stretch some jumper wires out. And go, all right, let's try measuring the resistance for this meter. And every time they, they would like twitch. Like, what's going to go up? Nope, that didn't do it. Next one, nope, nope, that would do it. And every meter we ever tried wouldn't do it. And then I would then I would jump her power and ground to it, and it would go off. And I have yet to have a student that can hang on to that. Just the pretensioner. Right, you know? yeah. And then we would go outside and, and set off airbags. And I know you're supposed to set them off metal side down, airbag side up. But it's more fun to launch them in the air. So, you know. Colors. Yeah, yeah. We we go through the proper procedures, but um, if if you know what you're doing, you can. Okay, well, you, you know what? We explain around. the proper procedures. But uh, yep. The proper procedure isn't putting a little army man with a parachute on top of it, <laughs> on top of the thing. So when it goes up in the air, boom, and then you got a parachuting army man. <laughs> well, Okay. <laughs> So uh, this is actually today we were messing around with this. So we have a lot of our school cars we get from various places. And yeah. one of them we have um, actually already had airbag deployment out of the the front two bags and the pretensioners. The curtains hadn't gone off yet, but we um, we took one of the impact sensors and we were talking about impact sensors and how they're really like modules nowadays they're sending data packets and information. So we had the scope hooked up and I was showing them, okay, here's the, you can actually see the little bits of information, all this. And since it was a school car and already deployed airbags, I was like, let's hit this thing with a hammer and see if we can get that information to change because it just keeps spitting the same message out on the data line over and over again, as long as you have the key on. And, we really went to town on this thing, the striking the core support uh, where it was mounted to, but we could not get that message to change. I was actually pretty interested. So I think it's more of an accelerometer thing where it needs to actually have, you know, a deceleration event or it's just that well engineered. So it recognizes that me hitting the core support with a hammer is not a vehicle <laughs> co- collision. The computer's, going, the computer's going, oh, sure, hit me with a hammer. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but we were having some fun because all the students are waiting for the, the curtain bags to, to go off and everything. But I know, uh, but isn't that great? Isn't that yeah. great with the, the anticipation? They're like, oh. Yep. <laughs> and then if you plan ahead, if you plan ahead, you got the two jumper wires ready. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> right. uh, 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 okay, boom. This is a nine volt in my in my pocket, ready to go. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, thank you for reaching out to me. I'll I'll take uh, take the tips and pointers anytime you got them, and I'm no, sure no everybody listening I mean, appreciates I just, it. I just wanted you know to add the fuel trim part of that because. I mean, I may not have connected a fuel pressure gauge. 
but you got there. You regardless, you got there, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just the the way the field trims behave was something that you didn't address, and I wanted to share that with your audience. And you know, if if that works and and expedites your diagnostic process, then yeah, good. good. Go, All about go that mind it. that mindset going in. <laughs> you know, you know what you're looking for and how you're going to approach it, and. Every everybody I know myself, I'm working on building that. Every time I go into something, like you know, what what are the things I'm looking at? What do I expect, right? And if I see this, I'm headed this direction. If I see that, I'm headed this direction, or I'm doing this test, or I'm not doing this test. But you got to have those expectations ahead of time. So information like this really helps get you there. And we got to talk about blowing up airbags. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'll I'll send you a video next week when we set them off. So <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's gonna do it for today's episode. Big thank you to Scott for taking the time to come on the show today. Definitely appreciate it and definitely appreciate the advice. I mean, that was basically a fuel term class there. So <laughs> um I enjoyed it. Hopefully you did as well. Want to say thank you to everyone out there listening and providing feedback. That's always appreciated as well. But with that all out of the way, let's get out there and start fixing the world one car at a time.